Hello, I'm Glyn Fussell and welcome to We Can Be Heroes. In this podcast, I get to know creative misfits, underdogs, wild rebels and those people who have stuck one giant middle finger up to society and live life their way. I can't wait to introduce you to some people who embody what it means to be absolute champions. So prepare yourself as we dive in and meet some amazing individuals who have inspired, stood up for change and say, I am here. This week's hero has one of the most distinctive singing voices on the planet. She has sold millions of albums worldwide with supports from legends including Elton John, Lionel Richie and Shaka Khan. She has an inner strength that has seen her through numerous serious illnesses. So then I was like, oh, F you, cancer. You know, you gave the wrong person cancer. She is a true survivor and she does it all with the most positive, gorgeous energy. To quote Shakespeare, and for the first time in my life I may add, Though she be but little, she is fierce. I was a tornado of just trying to keep this stuff going. And then eventually I was like, I need to have balance. I give you the icon, the one, the only, Anastasia. I'm so happy to finally be speaking to you. You know, I spoke to my mum earlier and and she said, oh, that's a powerhouse of a woman. Oh, well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I don't realize how I come off as that. I think that's good. But at the same time, I don't try to. It's just, it's in my DNA, I guess. That's interesting, actually. You should say that because I've spoken to a few people, mainly drag queens. And obviously, there's a real kinship there. You know, the queens love Anastasia. And I think that drag queens are always, they always gravitate towards powerful, strong women. Yeah. Why do you think? I remember growing up, discovering your music, but also it wasn't just about your music, you know, it was about your identity. There was a real power, real strength and a real determination. And I was thinking about it earlier and there seems to be a real purpose and focus to everything you do. Mm. Well, I think at the beginning of my career, I was ostracized. It was impossible for me to get a deal with the way I sounded and the look I had, the tinted glasses, the, the little bit of a rock chick vibe. And it wasn't girly enough. And it just was so confusing to understand what category I was. I felt like it's just not going to happen. And I got my deal very late. But I felt very determined, even when I got my deal, to stick with who I was. And I didn't want to take off my glasses. And I didn't want to put on a dress. And I, you know, I was really like, no, I'm going to wear my chunky shoes. I hate a stiletto, you know. And then I gave in to the hotshoes.com. <laughs> It's so interesting because I I was 28, actually, until I became successful. And I think before that, I had an internal strength, but I couldn't seem to marry that with actually achieving things in life. This is where I think we both can relate to the fact that we were trying so hard and not getting it. Mm. And maybe other people were saying, you have what it takes, but then you'd never get a shot. And then all of a sudden it's the shot. And All the time that I had at the very beginning of my career, I always thought it was going to end the next day. Wow. Because this wasn't my plan. I mean, who plans to be that famous? Well, a lot of people do. But I did not. I had no expectation of where it went. So when it was starting to go, I didn't really realize it was going because I was always anticipating it ending. So there was me still going okay, okay, you know, yeah. almost on the edge of rejection and there's the drive. 
However, I, it's not like I don't have the drive anymore. I just internally don't have that it's going to all go away philosophy as I did at the beginning. I just thought, oh, first single, we're not going to have a second. Oh, second single, I mean, like the album's not going to sell. Oh, we're doing, I'm doing a second album. Holy moly. At what point do you step away from that and go, oh, we did all right. I did okay here. <laughs> this is happening. Well, I will say for the first quite a lot of years of my career, I always felt like I was chasing the unattainable. And when it is that big, that fast, I don't think that I was capable of looking at it in real time. Also, I was young in the business, even though I wasn't young in age. I mean, I was unemployed when I got signed. I was so like, no money to my name, completely going, where is my life going? And I'm going to have to get a vocation because at this point I'm working at a hair salon as a receptionist and I'm literally have no skills. You know, I was going to fall back on singing if it worked out and it wasn't working out. So I guess in our industry, they put so much pressure on the next single or the next album. Is it going to be as good as this? They always give you that bit of underlying you're going to fail. The fear. They put the fear on you. Society just gives you that bubble, that residue. And some people crumble and can't handle it. And they're like, uh, but to me, that's going, oh, yeah. You know, so I think I end up doing the opposite, which I don't know what that's about. It could be I always had health struggles when I was younger and then I had career struggles and I always just felt like I was battling I relate to that fully. I feel like my motivation in life, and actually a lot of people we speak to on this podcast are, they're rebels. There's a rebellion there. And they actually, the thing that drives them are the no's, are the rejections, are the failures. Would you say that that's something that, well, I can tell that's something that's played a part in Yeah, I do feel very akin to that. I also feel that I like to say to people that no doesn't mean it's over. No is just for the moment and the wrong time and the, and the stress of it is never continuing. As long as you feel like there is a tomorrow, you just have to get through the stress to get through the other side. I didn't have enough of that at the beginning of my career, though. I think I was just going through the motions. And because I was going through the motions, I could not be my own advocate what everyone saw was probably, oh, she's, you know, she's just this powerhouse. And I was, I was a tornado of just trying to keep this stuff going. And then eventually I was like, I need to have balance. I need to realize that I'm not a machine, you know, and a lot of people in our industry that have gone through successes, we all kind of have that moment where we're like, whoa, (laughs) wow. Okay. And then adjusting to realizing that you are now a person that people look to for advice. You have to understand what's going on. So you almost have to like grow up and snap out of it. And I felt I had to get healthy because all of a sudden now I'm like a role model. I never thought I'd be a role model. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) So did you, I mean, you talked about role models there. Did you ever have people that you aspire to that you looked up to as role models? Or did you not see yourself in anyone? No, I didn't see myself in anyone. 
I really, you know, wow, I mean, I was listening to Mariah and Celine and Janet Jackson and Madonna, and I was like, I'm so not good enough for that. I don't have what it takes. I don't sound like them. I don't look like them. And I, you know, that's kind of what we're in, that each decade you go through what's popular. And I just thank God somebody took a risk on me and allowed me to be what I was, which was nobody looked or had my thing or I just had a thing, even though I didn't see it. I didn't see what I sounded like. I didn't understand the elements of all the things really would work. I just felt like, well, it's not going to work because everybody wants to change me. And then you get a deal and they're like, we don't want to change you. And I'm like, okay, but the society's not going to like it. Who was it that took that risk on you? His name is David Massey. He is extraordinary. He has discovered Jonas Brothers and Lara Fabian and Demi Lovato and Sean Mendez. I mean, like his list is long. So, I mean... He is an endless lover of music, and he was the A&R that I ended up signing to because I felt that he didn't want to change me. He liked that there was nothing out there like me. Do you know, I was only the other week talking about having mentors and people that have guided careers, and I was talking to Jake Shears from Scissor Sisters about this, and he said that Elton has been that for him. And so I wanted to talk to you about that because actually Elton seems to quietly in the background guide a lot of careers. So how did that come about and what has his influence been on you? He actually was one of my first reviews on my first album. And so I was like, he freaking writes articles? Like, I'm like, who, what doesn't he do? And so when he yeah. wrote that, I, it so validated me because when I was a kid, there were a few records in my house that my mom and family had and it was like a million Barbra Streisand and a million Elton John so that was kind of my go-to I would put on a record and dance around the living room and I by looking at his albums and seeing him and at age seven when I got glasses I was like oh yeah you know I just felt like we can do it I want windshield wipers you know (laughs) I felt like he was the king and then to know that He listened to my music. He likes it. And I see him every single month. I mean, he finds all these amazing people and passes down the gauntlet. Exactly, It's so genuine. And he loves music with all of his heart. He's just somebody that I I aspire to be if there is like a hero of, of someone that I wish I could be as genius as he is from how much he knows about music to his brain of trivia, I'd want him on my team for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think it's, it's so important to pass down your knowledge, your culture, your history, because otherwise you're just sat on your hands being smug, right? Well, yeah, I don't really get the whole I got to be better than you philosophy. I mean, that's a problem that we live in right now. Comparison, always thinking that, people's lives are shinier through social media I struggle with that I've got to be honest I have to ban myself from social media because I find that if I have a spare moment I'm just on it I'm literally looking at oh look at that person's hair glorious do you ever find yourself in that space Um, it's dangerous well I think because for so long I didn't have it and even when it did happen I was I'm not a computer person so I really was anti-anything. <laughs> so 
So even today, it's like, it takes a lot for me to even put a post up or do something. So I've taken a little bit of a break and don't care. I, I have my career. I know what I've done and I don't need to feel like a million views or a million this is or a million that's because I guess I validate myself to say I've been a million at different times and and that's wonderful because if I was living in this space at 53, 54 years old worrying about somebody's hearts, I like really? I'm, I'm already yeah. like... I'm half a century old, honey. Like, I'm not trying to deal with that. I don't want that to, you know, fill my fill my cup. And uh, I'm I'm good. I don't really live on social media that way. So I, what is your thing? How do you make yourself feel great about yourself? Live. Live. Live, live music. It's uh, it's my jam. It's what I've done since the beginning. I, I Even though I was kind of like a pop, soul, funk. I mean, everything I always did was with the band and was live singing. I would never phone it in. So to me, music is doing it live. Okay, so that's on stage, but away from stage, what are the things that really fill your heart with joy? Oh, my goodness. Um, a family, friends. I know a lot of people say that kind of stuff, but I think if you do have a good bubble around you, that really is where you continue to ground yourself. I have a dog now, so that was the best part of the pandemic. Here, here. But, you know, I, I really do feel like... I love doing what I do, like this upcoming tour. Just kind of looked at my two months. I'm doing like 40 shows. And it was intimidating because all of a sudden I was like, wow, that's a lot. And that's usually my schedule, but it's been so long since I've done that kind of schedule. It looks like a lot, but usually I do like 150 shows a year. So really at the end of the day, it's nothing, but I'm like, I'm going to be like three years not doing that for so long. Well, this hun loves a pun. So the I'm at a lockdown tour, which I think <laughs> is camp. Oh, it's camp. darling. Puns aside, the tour really does show that you can survive and you can evolve. Yeah. So what does it mean to you to be back on stage doing this? And why do you think the response to it has been so phenomenal? Well, I mean, I, I know just as everyone else feels that just human contact is really necessary right now. It just, we have the Met Ball that just happened mm. and just seeing people being in fashion outfits in the same place, it's all of a sudden that little bubble and knowing that that hoopla is happening is another moment. That, yes, darling, mighty, mighty. Just knowing that that's going to happen in my first performance literally since the pandemic is going to be in front of the community. And I really, really, it, it wasn't supposed to be that way, but look how full circle it comes that to me, the gay community has always supported me since the beginning. And here we are, it's this, the beginning again, and we're there with each other. So I really do feel like there's never, there's never an accident. And we all, we all deserve some, we all deserve some deep breaths and it's going to continue right. that this just because we're back at work doesn't mean life is any different. Like the world is a strange place to live in, but just, I hope that most people throughout this pandemic kind of touched base with themselves to have an appreciation for everything you're allowed to do. Then all of a sudden really your life becomes less stressful because you're just 
grateful for this and grateful for that. And then all of a sudden you're not stressing about stuff because the smallest little moment, if you're grateful for it, all that positivity starts to pay off. I just, I believe in it. Mm, you're so right. All right, well, look, well, I'm obviously going to talk about Mighty Hoopla. Yay! <laughs> okay. I, let's talk about the fact that we first booked you, I think, about three or 4,000 oh, yeah. years ago. When I was 13. <laughs> it was a long time ago. We've been trying to make this ago. happen. Yes. And by the way, I, if we're talking gratitude, I'm so grateful that, A, you are still, still wanting to do it. <laughs> <laughs> grateful for that too, honey. All right. But I'm also so grateful for the the willingness you're giving to this show because we're doing something very different and special, right? Well, yeah, because it, it, it should be special. It's the first time I'm coming back. It's the first time that I'm singing my new song for you guys. No one's heard it. It'll be on stage with you guys. So there's a lot of firsts and I, I love that we're doing it together, you know, trying to make this happen for so many years. Now it, it's almost a goal to try to make the show special for the audience. This is why I'm so excited about you performing because our crowd are so responsive. They're just mm. so open. And I don't think most people in that crowd have seen you for the longest oh, time no, perform. So it's going to be magical, just so magical. Yeah, and obviously, like, no stress that they're going to, you know, they might judge and be like, mm, she looks a little older. <laughs> You know, yeah, I'm nervous I, about that. I'm nervous about, you know, the possible, what did she wear? What does she look like? How did she sound? You know, like that sometimes goes in my head, but I'm, I'm coming, you know, I'm, I, all I can do is just say, I have my vocals, you know, and I'm always grateful. I have my vocals and I don't pretend to be, you know, these youngsters that are young. And I mean, I, my abs are flat, but Jingle, jangle, jingle. You know, I mean, like, it's, you know, I'm not uh, going to try to pretend that, you know, Abs Anna is going to come out oh, and be like, oh. you don't need to do that. Hey, you don't need to do that. You are an LGBTQ plus icon. Thank you. So talking of icon status, when did you realize that? Was there a moment where all of a sudden you're walking along, dra draped on a chaise lounge, being fed grapes, and you went, do you know what? I'm a queer icon. Um, I don't know if I know the moment. But I think when I started to see people imitate me and drag doing me, did I realize what I was like? And, <laughs> and I love, I mean, everybody, like I can imitate myself because they imitated me. And I was like, I do sound like that. Oh my God. You know, it's just that thing. And I'd see how they would move. And I was like, oh, my God, I move like that. So really, to be honest with you, I was uh, laughing and flattered at the same time. I still, I mean, I guess I know I'm that word icon that I don't take me seriously with it. But I'm uber flattered and completely humbled by, by just being imitated and honored that way. I don't know what they, you know, how, how I can give back. I mean, be, doing the show itself is my best way to say to the community, I freaking love it. Keep it coming. We spoke right at the beginning about your strength. And I think with strength comes vulnerability. And I think that that is often things that 
our community especially really resonate with. Um, and you've spoken so many times publicly about your health issues, particularly your experiences with cancer. What was it like to go through something so publicly and make that decision to go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to put this out in the public sphere. Well, I don't know if you knew that it was leaked. And yeah, they called me the day before the world news, I think it was called at the time. was gonna, News of the world. News of the, there you go. Despicable paper. You know what? To be fair, that's what they do. So... You know, well, they don't anymore. They're gone. But first of all, I didn't know if I was going to live or die. I hadn't told people. So they called me on a Sunday. I had found out on a Friday late night. So Saturday I'm dealing with it. And Sunday I get a call that says we need to make a press statement. And I'm like, what? I was in New York. So obviously that was... Um, hours delayed and they're calling me like it's going to break in the morning on Monday. And I'm like, break what? Like, how did, how do they know? I just, I literally just had a biopsy. I don't even know what stage it's in. I don't know what, so I had to make whatever the statement was that was out there. I don't, I don't know who wrote it to be honest with you. I was like, okay, well, I mean, I guess we make a statement. Is that what people really do? I didn't even know that was a thing I thought it was fake when they say, you know, the press person says, and I'm like, oh my God, they really do that? <laughs> you know, at that point, I didn't really get how big that, I think maybe that was when I was like, whoa, because I've never had a scandal, if that mm. was like, if that makes sense, I've never been part of a scandal, so I think my health crisis was my scandal. And that was like, whoa, that's when I think I started to get a little too overprotective and overthinking. And, but at the same time, I had to survive. I wanted to make it. And if I was going to die, I was going to tell everybody the secrets that they didn't know, which was all the, you know, early detection and this and 70% of women and men that get breast cancer, it's not hereditary. So for me, when I found that out, I was like, well, doc, why do you always ask people if they have breast cancer in their family? Why don't you just give us that information so that we can choose to be proactive or not? Because it's earlier and earlier, this cancer, you know, that we have, it's food, water, everything, stress. And I think they just, you know, they, they can't, they have no answer to why we get it. So they can't, you know, science wise, they can't. So I was like, well, for good, I'm not a doctor. I'm going to tell everybody your secret. And that was my passion was I needed to tell people that you need to go get your titties checked, sweetheart. You need to maybe not buy that purse, go take that money, go get yourself a mammogram. And as long as you do, don't get a breast augmentation until you know that all that tissue is safe. So I think I was just like so wanting to help everyone because I wish I had the knowledge that I now have. And what was the public reaction to that? Was there a real exchange of you were giving them information? Were they supporting you in return? I'm very honored that the embrace was the warmest hug from every single country and all people but I, I really wasn't thinking about needing to 
hide it because I, I said it and it felt like it was taken away. I wasn't able to deal with it. So then I was like, oh, F you, cancer. You, you know, you right. gave the wrong person cancer if you expect that I'm going to be like, I went through my experience and I just want to not make that define me. Fuck that. My booby. <laughs> I'm like, titty, You know, I just didn't care, you know. Um, and I may kind of be more known for having breast cancer and survived it twice and had a mastectomy than maybe being a singer. Maybe the first thing they say when it's like, oh, you know, Anastasia, oh, the one who had breast cancer. It's like, oh, and sings. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I'm okay with that. I think most people, though, they don't say anything because they don't want the stigma of a health crisis to overshadow their singerism or star quality. I don't get that. If you can't be able to be vulnerable, like you said, then what part of real are you in, embarking on? And I guess you put that same thing into your career, that honesty, that raw fuck you attitude, yeah. you know? I'm not going to let you down and let anybody dictate how I'm supposed to feel about this. Yeah. I always had that in me because I didn't have cancer until, what was it, after the second album. So, you know, Paid My Dues was happening and Freaking Nature was happening and she was all, you know, and then you get that and then she just becomes the third album, Anastasia. You know, hello. Um, so it really, when I look back, I see it, but when I was going through it, it felt different, you know, and I can try to talk about it now, but it was just a, a girl trying not to uh, let cancer take her career away, let right. cancer take her sexiness away, you know, like there was so much uh, feeling like it was, you know, one was, uh, you're going to just go off the end. Uh, it was a lot. And if you, if you don't mind me asking, how did it make you feel about, uh, you know, all women or all people have look at their body in a certain way, but when you're in the public eye, it's always under scrutiny. And yet you went one step further and you shared photos of your scars and you've been so honest about that. To be fair, um, I will say that cancer did save my life because I went for a breast reduction and I found out I had breast cancer. That was the whole like reality is that these actually, as much as I felt like they were a curse because they were too heavy for me and I didn't like that they were too big. There you go. You know, be careful what you don't like about yourself mm. um, and don't beat yourself up. But at the same time, I was very blessed that even I had a career enough to say I wanted to afford a breast reduction. Like all of it was like a happy accident and I, I did for years, I didn't show my scars because I was nervous about how they looked. Like I didn't feel that I was attractive in that way, but I wanted to not let the paparazzi get the shot. And after a period of time, I think there was a little, res like almost this like underlying, like, if they ever get a shot, it never went away until I was able to go, well, this is what it looks like. There's just big old scars on my back. You know, they had to make them that way. Cause of course I had like a total art piece on my back and 
they needed to graft skin and do this stuff, and they had to find skin that was not with, you know, a black mark on it. It's it would just was what it was, and um, and I think just knowing that I was able to say goodbye to cancer, even though it was a long, 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 long road for recovery, that's why I advocate early detection because I didn't. It, my second cancer did not go into the lymph node, and I could have chose to do the chemo and take the meds and get a lumpectomy, as they call it. I just didn't want to have a third time and not have that answer that it's been, you know, like it's it's removable, your cancer, if you contain it to your breast. It's the only containable cancer that you can have in your body that if it doesn't go to your lymph nodes, it's a good look. Um, and that's why early detection is key. I think it's so important to just as scary as these things are to talk about them, to put them out there, yeah. to, take, uh, to take control and ownership and you dictate the narrative that you want to push out. It's your body. Exactly. And I right? know we're, we're nervous to get that answer. We're nervous to, we don't want to go to the doctor because we don't want to hear our cholesterol is high. We don't want to hear, you know, we need to have surgery or whatever's going on. But don't you want to know it before they end up saying you're dying in two days or whatever, the worst case scenario the sooner you go in anything is always better than the later and putting things off doesn't necessarily work with health. (laughs) So you've spoken about this a lot before, actually about putting your career first. Mm. Um, And when you look at your career, what parts do you think have been those attributes that made you successful in your own path, uniquely you? I feel like it's luck. I feel like part of it is drive. Part of it is talent. You know, there's a lot of a lot of pieces that came together at the right time. I don't think I have anything better than anyone else. I just think that, I, you know, I, I had my moment and it lasted a little longer than some people's moments and other people's moments are still happening. How about putting your career over... A family, you know, I'm 42 and I've got a lot of friends at this point in my life. Actually, you know, even myself as a gay man and I always mm-hmm. thought I wanted to have children and only recently I've made the decision that, no, I think society wants me to have children. Oh. I don't. I want to have a career and be a great uncle. Oh, hello. Um, I wanted to have 12,000 children and my sister wanted to be the auntie. So there you go. Like that was my bubble. I thought I was going to have a ton of kids And I really wanted kids and I love kids. And then there's the reality of your career and the reality of I wasn't super young when I came out. So the pressure of having stuff and then the pressure of uh, your age. And there was a certain period of time that I just felt like I need to make that decision too. And I realized I love my career and I don't know that I want to sacrifice the ability of being so available to change my life for something that I am selfishly wanting in a way. So I really have to say, I don't feel like I'm missing anything because I made the choice. It it was my choice to make. And which is crazy that I'm saying my choice because I'm in my country. We are now, you know, 
taking like choices. What are choices for the gay community and the women? It's like, who's you don't have a choice. Um, so it really is, uh, and hats off to you that you were able to come to that conclusion yourself and without residue, because there are a lot of people that are very successful that haven't had children. And it's, I think it's hard for society to not feel sad for us. And I'm like, there isn't anything to be sad about, you know, at the end of the day, I have so many friends that have so that not have children. I was going to say so many children, but there's a lot of kids in my life with my friends. And I have to say, it's nice to be around them. And it's also nice to tap out. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so right. I, mean, I, I know they wouldn't change it for the world, but I also do know that they're like, yeah, you don't quite realize how forever that commitment is. This has been everything and more talking to you today thank you i can't wait to hug you in person 